We have been looking at the general epistle called the book of James, written by Jesus' half-brother James, the Holy Spirit using him as a vessel to write. And last time in James, I hope you remember that we defined temptation as the sinful lusts of our own hearts combined with bait. And when you have the sinful lust of one's own heart and a bait that seems attractive, you have a temptation. And we talked about how that um, we can't blame outside influences when we are tempted. We have to say it's an inside job. It's because of the lustful desires of our hearts combining with something that comes our way, not from God, but a bait from Satan, wanting us to fall into sin, wanting us to be discredited in our testimony, wanting us to depart from the revealed will of God for our lives as found in his word. And so we talked about uh, Mrs. Tuna and her little son, Tommy Tuna, and she warned him not to eat anything that swam unnaturally as a fish because it's probably a baited fish with a hook in it. And Tommy saw a herring. He thought, is that really swimming unnaturally? It kind of looks good to me. And he circled back and he took a bite and he became breakfast for Bahamians with grits. You know, God has told us only in a few places in the New Testament not to be deceived about certain things. And when you really stop and step back from temptation, temptation always involves deceit. You have to deceive a fish to bite a baited fish. You have to deceive a fish to have a fish bite a lure. Uh, temptation inherently has deceit component to it. God has told us in the New Testament a few things that we ought not to be deceived about. And here in, in James chapter 1, verse 16, we see in the passage before us this morning, verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And what we're not to be deceived about in this passage before us this morning is about God's goodness. We ought never to be deceived about whether or not God is always good. He is. But other New Testament warnings about not being deceived, three other ones. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, God warns, quote, Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Another warning about not being deceived is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, where God warns, quote, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. Another warning in the New Testament about not being deceived is found in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, where our God warns us, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. So we are warned four times in the New Testament not to be deceived. Obviously, there's a possibility that some of us will be deceived in these areas. For instance, we could abuse God's grace, live immoral Christian lives, so the Lord warns us not to be deceived to think that abusers of God's grace will be rewarded in the millennial kingdom of Christ. Or we could be deceived to believe that we can take persons of bad moral character closest into our circle of influence and sphere of friends, and somehow we could not be compromised. We ought not to be deceived that way. Or it must be possible that we in our minds could somehow minimize or negate the law of cause and effect to somehow think that we can sow seeds that dishonor God and reap a harvest of other than consequence for sin. Be, don't be deceived. 
And this morning in James chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, God specifically tells us not to be deceived about God's goodness. Don't let yourself be fooled about God's goodness, and don't let anyone else fool you about the topic of God's goodness. Look at verse 16 and 17 of James 1 with me, will you? Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 17, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Apparently, you and I can be deceived into thinking that our God is fickle, that our God occasionally gives us bad gifts, and we can be deceived to think that sometimes the good gifts we have and enjoy were not given to us by God at all. These are the things that we are not to be deceived about pertinent to the goodness of God. So let's think this through. If we were to be deceived about God's goodness, if we were to somehow believe the lie that God is fickle, then there would be some spin-off errors. If we think that God is fickle, then he must be changeable. If we think that God is fickle, then he must be unpredictable. He must be erratic. If we think that God is fickle, he must be in some way undependable, in some ways volatile. Let me ask you, would you want to trust such a God? Would you want to pray to such a God? But praise God, his word and our life experience corroborate to tell us that God is not fickle. Verse 17, let every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down, watch it, from the Father of lights, watch, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is not fickle. But what about if we are deceived? And what about if we think our God is capable of giving us a bad gift? What about that? Well, if God is capable of giving you a bad gift, then he is mean. Further, he is even cruel. He is heartless if he can possibly give you a bad gift. And if he could possibly give you a bad gift, he doesn't have your best interests at heart. And if he possibly could give you even one bad gift, he doesn't completely love you. But praise God, he has never given any of us one bad gift, and he never will. And so we can serve such a God with confidence. And so we can trust such a God for protection and guidance because he never is capable of giving any one of us a bad gift. But what about if we were deceived what about if we were deceived to think that somehow he could give us a bad gift? How would that interpret our life circumstances? Well, let me take you to very quickly to an Old Testament figure named Joseph. You remember him? 
with his coat of many colors. You remember him. His brothers were jealous of their father's seemingly extra love for him. And so they faked his death, perishing at the hands of a beast, eating him alive. They put blood on his coat of many colors. They took it with fake tears to their father and purported that his, his son, their brother, had been killed. But in reality, he was alive and well, and they sold him into slavery into Egypt. There, he suffered many difficulties. He was thrown in prison unjustly. But because of God's faithfulness to him, in spite of those circumstances, he was raised by God the Almighty to a sovereign place of having full charge over the granaries of Egypt when there was a global famine. And when those brothers of his came back to Egypt and did not recognize him after all the years between them selling him to the Midianite traders, and he was clean-shaven because of the Egyptian practice and no longer had a beard, they didn't even know it was their brother who held their lives, whether they eat and live or didn't eat and died in his very hands. And when he revealed himself to them, boy, he had a chance, didn't he? Put his foot on their neck, payback time. No, because he knew what we must know, that it's incapable for our God to give us a bad gift because God is good. He saw his circumstances as being good. And he said in Genesis 50, 20, this to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, saving the saving of many lives. What about the deception that Satan would love for you to have? That God only gives you some of the good things you have to enjoy. That God somehow is not the giver of every good and perfect gift you have to enjoy, but only some of them. The logical extension of that error in thinking is that you must believe then that other people were the ones that gave you some of your good gifts. Or worse, you must come to believe that you gave yourself some of your good gifts. And yet, James 1.17 makes it clear, God is the giver of every good thing bestowed, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So friend, whatever you have is good. Whatever gift you own and possess and enjoy, if you have a good gift, it's from God. 100%. Not to believe that and to believe that he's only a partial giver of all the good gifts you have leads to idolatry every time. When my wife, when I first laid eyes on Beth at Dallas Seminary, we were both incoming students, and they, I told you, I think, before, they'd had four students prepare ahead to give a testimony of how God led them to Dallas Seminary. And that evening at the faculty welcome chapel, Beth gave her testimony, and she talked about trusting God for free, clean, and no bugs. There in Michigan, she felt God call her seminary to train to equip women and children in the word of God and theology. She didn't have money for lodging. She didn't have money for tuition. She didn't have money for books. But she knew God wanted her to go to seminary. So in faith, 
The seminary accepted her, and she went down to Dallas without any money. There she stood before the student body and before her professors, and she talked about how she had a group of seven women in Michigan earnestly pray regularly for a place for her to stay that was free, clean, and had no bugs. She hated bugs then. She still hates bugs now. So after tropical sterminators comes to the parsonage and they spray so nicely and there's dead cockroaches, I have the job of putting them down the toilet. Not Beth. She prayed for free, clean, and no bugs. And she told all of us listening in that faculty welcome chapel, God gave her a job with a wealthy family to be the governess for their one child, Savannah. And the deal was she was hired over the phone, although 40 other women were interviewed in person, The person who hired her said, I don't know why I'm giving you this job. We've never met, but I'm going to give you the job if you want it. Well, that was God. Because he gave her a free place to stay in their mansion in the servants' quarters. It was clean, and it had no bugs. But then when Beth arrived and met her female boss that wasn't much older than Beth, and Mrs. Cobb said, you know, my husband and I have been talking, and we know the deal is for a free place for you to stay while you attend Dallas Seminary. We think it's in our daughter's best interest and in your best interest if you don't work outside of our home. So we're going to change the employment agreement. We're going to give you everything we promise, a free place to stay, food when you keep our daughter, drive our Cadillac when you move her anywhere, but we're also going to pay for your full tuition, all your textbooks, and your health insurance. Would that be all right? Every good and perfect gift is from above. So the Greek word here in the verse, which is translated gift, means something instructive. It means free, it means large, and it means full. God only knows how to give good gifts that are free, large, and full. Now let's just take that illustration of Beth's provision by God's good hand of blessing and his goodness toward her for Dallas Seminary and all the years she studied there. Let's say if she got deceived, let she didn't, but let's say back then if she got deceived and somehow started to think that God really is fickle in all of this. And what if she's got to thinking that she could suspect that God would take away the room, the board, the books, the tuition, and the insurance at a drop of a hat if she made one little mistake? She would be deceived if she believed that, because God's not that way. Or what about if Beth had been tempted to be deceived, that she started to believe somehow, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that God can sometimes give you a bad gift? Ever had a bad gift for Christmas? Come on, don't look at me that way. Sometimes we re-gift it, right? Am I the only one? God never gives a bad gift. But what if Beth was deceived to think that somehow God could possibly give a bad gift? And then in the course of being a nanny for that little girl, Savannah Cobb, and she got overworked or even injured or frustrated on the job, what if she got tempted to think, oh, yeah, well, there's God giving me a bad gift amidst all the other good gifts? She'd be dead wrong. Again, she didn't think that way. Or what if Beth had been deceived? God doesn't give you all of the good gifts you have. I have a part in getting good things too. What if she came to believe that God's gift of tuition and health insurance and books were predicated on her being a good reader? 
See how ridiculous that is? But don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived that God is fickle. Don't be deceived that God can ever give you a bad gift. And don't be deceived that anyone other than God will give you a good gift. God is in control of every good gift you and I receive. You know, Eve began to sin and disobey God in Genesis 3 before she took a bite out of the fruit. She began to sin when she sniffed at the bait that Satan provided to cause her to doubt God's goodness. Do you remember what he said to her in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5? Essentially, he said this, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He sowed doubt in her mind that God was entirely, 100%, absolutely, perfectly good. He was holding something back from her that she would be better off with. That her eyes were partly open, Satan said. But if you just take this fruit, he'll open your eyes fully and you'll know good and evil and you'll be like God. He's still the same old liar. He wants to impress upon you and me that God, is God really good with what you're going through right now? Really? Is that a good God? Does God even hear your prayers if he's good? He's the same God. He's the same liar. He lies about God's goodness. We dare not be deceived about our God's goodness. Satan is still using the very same approach on you and me. In effect, Satan is lying with these words. God has a hidden agenda for you. And it isn't pretty or pleasant or really for your good. And Satan lies. God's really not so good after all. Has he always been good to you? You know what? If we even sniff at that bait, we're in trouble. Resolutely, positively, he's good. All the time. John Greenleaf Whittier has well written, I see the wrong that round me lies. I feel the guilt within. I hear with groan and travail cries the world confess its sin. Yet in the maddening maze of things and tossed by storm and flood, to one fixed trust my spirit clings. I know that God is good. May that be our anthem. May that be our song. May that be our testimony. May that be our assurance in the privacy of our own prayer closets. God is good. My God is good to me. When I was learning to scuba dive, there were things to learn, but the biggest thing I had to learn was rather simple, and that was never to hold my breath. Never to hold my breath in panic. Because air in a scuba tank is delivered to you through a regulator at ambient pressure. If you're at 60 feet under the water, then the air comes into your lungs with 60 feet's worth of pressure on the air. And if you panic, hold your breath and ascend, then the air in your lungs will, in the worst case scenario, give you an embolism and burst your lungs and you die. 
or if you don't die, you become disabled. And so the cardinal rule of scuba diving is never hold your breath. Keep breathing, no matter what. And so when they're training you to be certified as a scuba diver, they do everything in their power to try to make you panic. They give you a mask that's got a neoprene blackout on the lens and you can't see anything. And they put you in the water and you just wait there breathing. And your instructor comes up to you and yanks your regulator out of your mouth without you knowing it's coming. See if you'll stop breathing, go up. Or he turns your air off at the tank stem. Sees if you'll handle it and keep breathing. Turn it back on and keep breathing. Life is like that, isn't it? Things come at us like we don't expect. And this text is calling us to never, ever doubt the goodness of God. To believe that God is good all the time. Don't be deceived. The harder your life gets, the more you must be resolute in your belief that God is good. The busier your life gets, the more you must bank on the fact that God is good. The faster your life gets, the more you must acknowledge that God is good. Look at verse 18, the last verse of our passage this morning. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Will you notice some things with me in this one verse about our good God? Will you notice first that God chose to give us birth? It was his choice, not our choice. God chose to give us birth. God purposed to give us birth. God willed to give us birth. God regenerated us. It was his choice. And that's what a good gift giver does. He plans. But will you notice second, still in verse 18, that God chose to give us birth. Why? Because we were spiritually dead before he gave us birth. You do know that if you are born once, you have to die twice. If you're only born physically, then you have to die physically and eternally. But if you are born twice, naturally, and then subsequent to that, spiritually, be born again as you trust Christ alone to be your Savior, then you only have to die once. No eternal death. So verse 18 is chock full of very important truth. First, God chose to give us birth. That's what gift givers do. They plan. Second, God chose us to give us the birth, the gift of birth because we needed it. Birth is irrevocable, non-reversible, permanent. We would say eternal, once saved, always saved. And that's what a good gift giver does. He gives for keeps. None of you saves to give a gift to a loved one and then a month later knocks on the door and says, you know that gift I gave you last month? Things are a little tight. Can I have it back? I want to cash it out. We don't do that. The perfect gift giver, the good gift giver doesn't do that ever. 
But what you notice still with verse 18, not only God chose to give us a gift, and not only did he choose to give us the gift we most needed, birth, but what you notice third, that God chose to give us birth through his word. Verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The way God gave us birth is through the word of truth, more specifically, the gospel. The good news that Christ has died for sins and arisen from the dead. That's how God gives anybody spiritual birth, is through the gospel. It makes sense. A good gift giver has good news as a gift. Gospel means good news. But there's more still in verse 18. Not only does God choose to give, not only does God choose to give us birth that we needed, not only does God give us this birth that we needed through the word of his truth, but God chooses to give us birth through the word of his truth, watch it, so that we might be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. There it is in verse 18 at the end. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. What does that mean? Well, it means in the Old Testament frame of things, it means that back in the Old Testament, first fruits were intentionally, irrevocably, pleasingly consecrated to God. In the Old Testament, The firstborn son was consecrated to God. The firstborn cattle was consecrated to God. The first growth fruits were consecrated to God. The first growth grains were consecrated to the Lord. And because this verse reminds us, we who have been born again, given a birth where we were dead through the word of truth, we ourselves are owned by God. We don't own ourselves. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God with our bodies, right? So this morning, we are being warned as an assembly by God himself through this passage. Don't ever doubt God's goodness. And don't ever get mixed up about who owns you. (laughs) God owns you. You've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And what a wonderful thing to be owned by a good God who plans for his own glory by giving us all the circumstances he does for his purposes to chip off of all of us what doesn't look like Jesus. What a good God. So I don't know what's going to happen for you and me this week. I know that we all have flesh. We all have sinful desires in our hearts. And I know that they are different probably for each of us. There are lusts that are pertinent to each of us. I know that Satan's going to float some bait past us, either lures or baited fish, bait fish with hooks in it. But I do know that one of the ways to avoid that temptation and clamping down on that lure with a hook in it or that baited fish with a hook in it, one of the ways to avoid doing that is to remember that God is always good. We don't need anything more than he's provided. He's always good. And if I threw it open to testimonies right now of people standing to their feet and saying how God has been good to them, it would take eternity for the meeting to end. Right? He's good.
Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Let's pray to this good God. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how good you are to us. We praise you today that you're never fickle and that you never, ever give us a bad gift, that you never give us a gift that we can't use and be benefited by, and furthermore, that all the good gifts we have are from you and no one else. Thank you, Lord, that you're always good. We pray that we remember that when the bait, the lures float by us by the evil one to cause us to doubt or suspect your goodness. Oh, God, may we take it to be truth that you are good. And we pray this in Jesus' good name and for Jesus' sake in our lives. Amen.